You pastors will understand this. Uh, I sat there and as I listened, um, recognized, you know what, Lord, I, I think you want me to change the message. And so the message I had prepared is not the message I'll be delivering. So I'm delivering another one. And we'll be going through this together. <laughs> so turn with me your Bibles to Psalm 85. Psalm chapter 85. I love Psalm 85. I, I haven't um, actually taught on Psalm 85 for a long time, but boy, I tell you, I think this is where we are. And my heart was filled even as I listened, especially to the last question, because passing on fire is hard. You can get started with a fire in one generation, but to pass a fire on is hard. And really, the answer is every generation needs fire for themselves. They need to see God even for themselves. And um, my heartbeat that I believe the, the Lord's given me is a heartbeat for revival. I, I, I desire that for my country. I believe that is the answer. I believe that's really right now the only answer. We have come too far. Our brains cannot figure out a solution anymore. We need God. And I now can I speak heart to heart with the, with the students? Because I've seen a change in students over the years, those who are studying for ministry. I do not know if it's a product of the generation or generational thinking, but there has been a change in even mindset. I do remember one of the biggest things for me as a student when I came um, many years ago at Pensacola was, an under, was the, the, the understanding that we need to be praying specifically for revival. And I think we miss that even with this generation of young people, because we're training a group of young people, and I'm not saying you're it, but it feels like as I travel to different places in schools, we're training a very educated group that has very little heart. And you only get heart when you pray in the presence of the Lord. We have to get the fire from God in our belly so that we can give what our nation needs. And so I remember that what was amazing for me in my walk at uh, Pensacola was not the brilliant teachers, and we did have great teachers, not the wonderful lectures in class or even chapel, and we did. But I'll tell you the thing that I remember most was we had a core group of students who would meet together on the second floor with our faces in the ground, begging God for revival on our campus. Begging God for every preacher who came into our pulpit, that God would use them to bring revival on our campus. We would meet every Tuesday, and we would get together, and all we would do was go on our face and pray. And we would pray that, God, would you show up here? Because if we are here to serve you, we need your fire. 
Now, I will tell you, when you go through four years of that, there was a day, I remember the day, even as a senior, walking out going, Lord, we've been praying for four years. Four years, Lord. We haven't seen it. And I remember the Lord almost, as real as could be, was, it's about what's going on in your heart. It's what's going on in here. The Lord was changing us in the process. What we need right now are students who understand the word of God. Students who understand how to deliver the word of God and reach this world. But we need students who have the fire of God in their hearts as well. And I think Psalm 85 is a great help for us. Because what it does is it helps us look at the past, help us understand our present, and help us look to the future. And so we're just going to ask the Lord today to help us see as he sees to revive our hearts so that we could see revival in our land. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you today. Lord, we've come now to the end of this day and we've learned much. But Lord, really what we need is you. We need you to show up and be so big to these young men and ladies preparing for your work. So big, Lord, that they will speak whatever, wherever, to whomever. They will pray with the faith that will bring heaven down. Lord, we need young people who have the heart of God. May you give us your heart and your eyes today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we have Psalm chapter 85. It begins in the first few verses here, verse 1 to 3, on looking at the past. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. So he's saying, Lord, I have looked and see where you've brought us from. And that's what happened today a little bit. We took a little time and say, Lord, look where you brought us from. Lord, we have come from a mighty long way. Lord, you have been good to us. Lord, you've been good. And so we need to stop and thank God for where he's brought us from. Because we stand today on the shoulders of those who made that way. And so we are grateful to God that we actually have the gospel we're grateful for God that someone shared so we could know we have a heritage and we are grateful. So the psalmist starts off with that thanksgiving to God. says, you have been favorable unto this land. 
And so no matter where we are now, we can stand here to say, God has been good to us. We can stand and say that. And so we have, we've recognized that. But then the psalmist changes into a prayer request in verses 4 to 7. And that's kind of where I think the present is, where we must be now. He says, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause that anger toward us to cease. So it's almost like, Lord, you've been good. You've been good. Look how you blessed us. But Lord, as I look around right now, things are different. Lord, I look around right now, I feel as though you are absent. Lord, I feel as though we have the anger of the Lord and not the grace of the Lord. Lord, what is going on? Lord, and look at his answer. His, his request is, turn us, O Lord. Maybe our eyes are in the wrong place, Lord. I need you to turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger towards us to cease. The turning is moving back to the place of our departure. That's the, I, the concept of turning this is a direction, turn us, O God, O Elohim. And this, when God begins with Elohim now, he comes to the sovereign God. Now, when it is in Scripture, I love in Scripture, when we begin to pray and we begin to address the Lord God. He is now addressing, I call it, the God of, the God of revival. Because he says, will thou, verse 5 and 6, will thou be angry with us forever? And will thou draw, draw out thine anger to all generations? So something happened. Something changed. And it feels as though the generations are going to be affected. And so, Lord, we need your anger to to turn, because many times we stop looking at our situation from the perspective of our God. How does God look at what's going on? When God steps through our community, does it put a smile on his face or does it bring anger in his heart? When God sees what goes on with such ease in our communities, where is God's heart? How is he viewing it? And so here we are say, he's saying, Lord, Lord, turn us because we don't want your anger. But then I have to go, and you have to look at with me, to Isaiah um, chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57. This, I call this um, the God of revival. Remember I said he's praying to this God, will, will you not revive us again? And so when you begin praying to the God of revival, we have to know who it is we're praying to. Now, when, when we come, but my father, he's in heaven now, my father was a police officer, 
And uh, my father was one of the, the leading, um, he was a deacon and an elder, he was many things in our church over the years, and he was my dad. Now, he wore many hats. Now, if, if you came to him and said, Inspector, that is his role as police officer. You know, the, 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 one of the pastors shared today, um, when you are in the home, your dad, okay? You don't, don't be pastor over here. You, you need dad. What? There's a role that is, that is played and when you address it. And so in scripture, it's beautiful to see when people address the Lord. The, what title, or even with God, what title is he giving for us to address? Now, this is how we approach the God of revival. This is Isaiah 57. And I'll actually start with verse 14 because the concept begins there. He says, and ye shall say, cast ye up or build up. Build up, prepare the way. Take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. This is the concept we spoke of um, in the pastor's conference of moving the mountain. This is the preparing of the soil for revival. There must be a preparing of the soil for revival to happen. The breaking up of the, 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 the prophet talks about breaking up the fallow ground, coming in and preparing the soil for the revival of the heart. But then he says, verse 15, for thus saith, the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity. High and lofty. When you come to the God of revival, you have to remember he is both high and lofty. High means he is not on the same level with us. He is on a totally different level. And so high gives a position, but lofty gives the right to rule. Just like in our country, we have a governor general. A governor general may be high in position, but he does not have the right to rule. But with this person you're coming to for the God of revival, he has position and authority. So he is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He is from the beginning of time past to time future. He inhabits eternity. He knows the end from the beginning. So he's the God of revival who is high, lofty. He inhabits eternity and his name is holy. So when we come and when we even begin to pray towards this God of revival, we have to remember when it talks about his name, the name is the central part of his character, or I call it the hub of his character. Everything is connected to his holiness. When you look at his love, his love is only understood through his holiness. When you look at his grace, his grace is only understood through his holiness. His holiness is his central character. So when we come to him, we have to remember we're coming to the holy God. 
It's almost as though we're stepping into the Holy of Holies. We have right there the beautiful um, picture of the Ark of the Covenant. I love the tabernacle, but every time we get ready to pray, especially to the God of revival, it's almost like we're walking through the tabernacle. We're coming into the holy place, and when that curtain, that beautiful curtain falls behind us, in this holy place, you only have the light of the um, candlestick right here. It's the only light in this place. And then you have the table of showbread, and that's where the, the, the bread is for the priests. And then you have actually the candlestick over here, the table bread over here. And then in front of you, you would have the altar of incense. Everything in this place is overlain with gold. It's a beautiful place to be. Beautiful place. But this is not the place we pray. When we get through this curtain and go into the Holy of Holies and those curtains fall behind us. Then we have a wall of gold in front of us, walls of gold overlain with gold on the side of us. And in front of us is this little box called the Ark of the Covenant. The only light in this room is the Shekinah glory of God. And as the presence of the Lord comes in, and right there, the two angels, the cherubims whose wings are tipped, and over this box, this is where we come. Because you don't come in here flippantly. You don't come in here with sin. You come in here recognizing you are before the throne of the Almighty God himself. We are in the presence of God. And when we come to pray for revival, only one person can give it to us, and that is the God of revival, the Holy One, the one who sits on the throne, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. But the Bible says in this passage that he, not only so far, but look how it says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. So here we have the holy God who has actually said who he connects with. He that is of a humble and contrite spirit. And he gives us the purpose to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When we get into this presence of God, we have to understand that God has to first do a work inside of us because the Bible says he comes to revive contrite. If you don't understand contrite, contrite means when you are beaten and crushed to powder. Contrite. We bring nothing. We come with the attitude of saying, Lord, I am here do whatever you need. We need revival. See, I don't know if we understand what we are praying for when we pray for revival. I don't think we get it when we say, oh Lord, revive our nation. I don't think we understand it. I don't think we understand the price that has to be paid for revival. 
I remember being in a conference. Actually, Susanna's dad was one of those preaching. I was in, Pens not Pensacola, I was with Pastor Sheller. I was in California, and I was there for a few weeks, and we were preparing for the revival. I'm, I am what they call the pre-evangelist. Pre I come in, and I prepare the church for the evangelist to come. I was there for about four, six weeks, I can't remember. And then the evangelist would come be behind. I remember one of the things we did in preparation for this revival was we had to go through a week of prayer and fasting. I say, if we are going to be serious before God as God's people, we need to get before him and we need to have a week of prayer and fasting. Fasting says, I will take, say no to my flesh so I can listen to God. In that week, I tell you, in that prayer and fasting time, even with Pastor Shetler, I t the, the things that God had to deal with us and begin to break. And we, I said, we have to be willing and I will never forget, and, I, and I, I think I can say this um, publicly, this is a very personal matter with Pastor Shetler, but that week I sat at the altar of that church with the senior pastor of that church, praying that God brings revival to his church and do whatever it takes. And right as we were praying, and Pastor Shetler is even weeping, we didn't know what that meant. But we know that the following week, there was a situation that happened with his son that was one of the most hurtful things for him. And it was almost as though there was a shaking in the family. And it was almost as though God was beginning to move and work. Because when you start praying for revival, I would always say, and this came from, I think, um, John R. Rice, there is a price for revival. God begins to break. And he begins to break. And when he comes through, are we willing to be crushed? See, we want revival on our terms. We want big church, we want plenty people, but we don't want the heart of God. Well, in this passage, it talks about turn us, O God. Turn us, O God. We need you, O oh God. Go back to Psalm 85, and he says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. This is the prayer for revival. This is the prayer. We get it from Habakkuk. Remember, Habakkuk is one of those prophets that understood the prayer for revival. God had to change Habakkuk totally. Because Habakkuk came, and as he was praying, oh, the enemy is coming. The enemy is coming. And he is praying and praying and praying for his people and all the things that's going on with his people. And God said, I will send an enemy, and the enemy will take care of the people. And then Habakkuk said, Lord, you can't do this. The enemy you're sending is worse than our people. How could you do this? And then it's almost as though God had to deal with Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, okay, I'm going to go in my place and I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And this is what Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 2. Oh Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. 
O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's a prayer for revival. In wrath, remember mercy. Show mercy unto your people. When we see sin the way God sees sin, we see the sin of our people and what's going on in our land and begin to hate it the way God hates it, then we begin to pray right for revival. Once we begin praying right for revival, God begins to work in us. That's what happened to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, God said, I'm not going to change the people coming in. I'm going to change you going through it. And so Habakkuk was the one that God needed to revive. And maybe right now, instead of us saying, Lord, we may need revival in the land, it may be, Lord, we may need revival in our midst. Lord, we need revival in our midst. Change us first. Now, if we get young people preparing for ministry who are willing to go before God and plead, God, Lord, we need you to show up. Lord, we need your power. Lord, we need you. And be serious before God. The fire of God will stir in the hearts of his people, and that's where he can begin changing our community. This, this passage actually, I would say, ends in an interesting way because he says, Will thou revive us that thy people may rejoice in thee? Verse 8, this deals now with reliance on the future. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. That's kind of just like Habakkuk. I will hear what the Lord God will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Lord, we need you to show up. When you do, Lord, we don't want to turn back. See, when God begins to bless, we get used to his blessings. And when God begins to bless and we get used to his blessings, we begin to turn back from what he's done. And so here he's saying, Lord, help us not turn back from folly. And then the Bible says, surely his salvation is nigh unto them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's what we want. We want mercy, the love of God. Truth, the justice of God. Mercy and truth now coming together. And what does it do? Yea, Lord, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall, shall yield her increase. The land is now blessed because of what God is doing through the revival in the land. The land gets the blessing. And then he says, the righteous shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. So what is it then that I need to do? Where do I need to be? And this is, um, Susanna, could you pass to me the little, yeah. This is called sticky tack, <laughs> all right? 
All right, this is sticky tack, and sticky tack is an interesting thing. As a teacher, I use sticky tack a lot. Now, sticky tack was one of those weird things I learned when I was learning education because we couldn't put up on our walls in the classroom, um, we couldn't put things in our walls, like we couldn't drill holes or anything. I taught at Pensacola Christian Academy, and so I, we, we, they were very, very tough on the things that went up. And so we had to use something called sticky tack. So the, the, the education teachers, because I was Bible, the education says, here, here's sticky tack. And so I got a piece of sticky tack, and I just began um, saying, okay, this is sticky tack. Okay, I could use some of this. And I would take this sticky tack, and I would actually take this and put this on a poster. And I would put the poster up on the wall, and I would say, okay, let's see if this thing works. And you know, I would have it hanging up, and the next day, it would fall. And I'm like, I spent all this time, they told me the sticky tack works, and now everything that I worked so hard on fell. And so I was like, I went back to those same education people and said, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. And they said, did you stretch it? I said, stretch it? Yeah, did you stretch it? I'm like, no, I just pulled it. Says, no, you have to stretch it because when you stretch it, it makes it stickable because it has to get warm. And when it's stretched and stickable, then you can use it. Then I began to start stretching. Go ahead, start stretching the sticky duck. And so I'd be in class, and I would see all my education teachers doing the same thing. They'd just start stretching this weird thing, just to start stretching it. And as you stretch it, you feel it gets a little warm. It gets a little warm as you stretch it, and you're oh, now it's ready to be used. Why? Because it had to get stretched out, and the impurities and all of the stiffness had to be taken care of in order for it to be used. You know where God has you right now? If you are being prepared for revival, he needs to start stretching. He needs to start breaking some things up. He needs to start making things uncomfortable. He needs to start getting you to the place where you don't see how it's going to happen. He needs to get you in a place where you've never been as scared as you have been in your life. He's going to have to stretch you and continue to stretch you. And as he stretches you, he needs to see, are you going to go down to him in prayer? Or are you going to try to do this on your own? As you become more flexible with God, you become more usable for him. And then you will find, and you will almost feel it, the fire is within. If you can't, you will never set the world on fire if you don't get the fire in your heart first. 
And so when God begins to break, when God begins to stretch, when God begins to mold you, then he begins to prepare you to be used for his glory. And we pray that he will use you for revival. See, revival is not a set of meetings we have and expect God to show up. See, God doesn't come just because we have a revival meeting. We prepare the soil. We prepare our hearts. And it's a preparation process of brokenness. And the Bible says there's something about contrite and brokenness. God can't stay away. When the brokenness starts happening, the presence of the Lord starts coming. But the problem is, many of us today in ministry are afraid to go through that process. So as we leave here today, I wish I could give you something that says, hey, go out there and reach the world. You know what it is? Go find a closet and find God for yourself. Go find a closet and fire going in your heart. Go find a closet and say, Lord, break me if need be, because we need to see God. Go find a closet, because it's in the closet that the fire happens. And when you find God there, the rest of the world will see God out there. My prayer for you students is simply this. This is nothing that comes from a teacher. See, no teacher could say, oh, okay, now y'all let's come together and let's pray. Mm -mm. This is not from a teacher. This is not from a pastor. This is not from your pastor that says, okay, y'all need to go and have a prayer meeting after church today. Mm -mm. This is not from your pastor. This is from your heart. This is from you. See, you are the next generation. You are the ones God has to use. It's you. And if you can't strike some matches now, then where will the fire be? It's you. And it's not because someone told you. It's because your desire was there to seek God for yourself. Will you go and be moldable, stretchable, usable? Because God's going to have to break you to use you. But do know, he's a loving God. And when he does, it's so that the seed could die and the life of Christ could break through. If you've been made an eagle, eagles fly. If God has called you to fly, then fly. But the scariest thing is jumping out of the nest. <laughs> Why? Because you may fall. But then that's how you discover your wings. 
the scariest places God will take you will be the places that you will grow. May God make of you the next generation of leaders that Papua, Papua New Guinea needs for the fire that this generation needs to see. He's done it in the past. We can stand on those shoulders, but we are not going to say we only need their flame. We need God to give us our own. May God give you the flame you need for what this country needs. Because that's what I'm praying for me. Lord, give me the flame my country needs. Because we are in a case. We need you, O oh Lord. Can we pray today for you, for you students? Because our prayer is that you know God in such a way that he uses you to bring the revival we need. So let's pray for you. Father, we have talked today about the past. We have declared today that you have worked in the past. But Lord, as we even close this very full day, and we've heard a lot, simply, Lord, what we desire is that you use this next set of students and those preparing for ministry. You push the fire deep within them so that the fire could burn in their souls. They need to know you for themselves. So Lord, we pray. We pray for revival. But Lord, may it start within us. And so we pray for these students. We know, Lord, the path to revival is not an easy one. It's a path of brokenness, but we pray for them. May they travel the path for the glory of God. And may this country be changed because of you. Not because of our wisdom, not because of our strength, but because of our God. Dismiss us now, Lord, with your grace and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray.